0: Class! Class! Class, come to order, please. That's better, class.
1: Welcome back, students. We hope you've had a wonderful summer and are ready to show some of that school spirit that we've always been known for here at Zayas Academy of Arts and Sciences. If you're interested, the list of this year's clubs and teams have been posted outside of the cafeteria. And if you are enrolled in biology, we need to get your parental permission slips in before you can even touch a scalpel. Why not come on out and support your varsity pickleball team as they take on Mary of Infinite Sorrows this Friday, go fightin' lemurs. And now please stand for the national anthem.
2: Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I am Troy Harkin. And this is our 12th episode of our first season. We're looking at our back-to-school special. We are looking at schools in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. We have a special
1: guest, librarian, teacher, and YA novelist, Maya Wentz and it's going to be a good time. Um David I was just wondering, you know, we're we're here we're at that sort of turning point uh that that going back to school represents. We've just had a great summer, at least I, I know I have. Um were you one of those kids that by the time you got to Labor Day you were itching to get back to school or did you want more summer?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a real tough question there, um, Troy. How about more summer? You know, that, that's me being from sort of Toronto area. You, we always look forward to the CNE, yeah. those two weeks in August. But the CNE also represented the end of summer and return to school, then you would of course go to the local store and buy all your school supplies. You'd buy your books. You'd attend your first day of classes. you would have those dreams about showing up without any clothes on at school, unprepared for that test. Um, And I still have those, even though I've been out of school for 20, 30 years. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe I I need some professional help. I'm not sure. Troy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I used to, find that uh labor day labor day monday was like so uh there was such a sense of melancholy and it 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 wasn't so much that i was going back to school because there were things about that that i was looking forward to but i realized that it somehow represented uh sort of a uh a bit of mortality. It was, it was another year. It's like, okay, that summer's gone and now we're moving on. And what really helped with the melancholy, I have to say, was the Jerry Lewis MS uh or was it MD uh telethon. Um there was just something about that that was I always found really maudlin as a kid. Um and my parents watched it like all weekend long when it was on. And as a kid it was on like virtually every channel it felt like. Um, but anyway, there was so so the Monday Labor Day was just like uh, okay really okay now I'm ready now I'm ready to do it, and especially as I, as you got older you recognized that you could feel the passage of time was was speeding up as you aged. So by the time I got to high school, it's like yeah I did want a little more summer, but as a kid it was like yeah I've seen my parents enough by now. It's like let me let me go see my pals, let me have recess. You know, which I loved. What kind of things would you have done at recesses as, as uh, whatever uh, a ten-year-old David Clink? Were you ever a little Davy Clink?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, you could call me Dave. You can call me Davy. You can call me David. Just don't call me late for supper. But my favorite experiences in school at recess was this, t- where were these swings that were at the top of a hill that you could actually swing up, almost touch Uh-oh. this wire, telephone wire, twenty feet up. Slide down the crest of the hill and slide down it on one foot. Uh, we were a bit of uh, daredevils. I also remember this one time in grade, I think it was either four or five or six, at Edith Vale Public School with Mr. Day, who was the principal. We had, the, it was wintertime, there was all this ice, and we we're sliding down, just running from the, the school and then sliding along the ice and down this hill. I remember nice. falling right on my face, oh, cutting nice. my lip. Uh, running into school, and then there are these two girls walking past a corridor, and I realized my my mouth was full of blood. So I opened up my mouth and sort of just tried to scare them. Yeah. Um. And then I had, <laughs> and, and then I went into the principal, and he basically washed out my mouth with all of that blood and stuff, oh, and no. did whatever he had to do to yeah. to sort of help help that that cut. But those are my fondest memories of. Oh, sort those of basically, are good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to give you just two quick, uh, physical, uh, yeah, injuries as well. Uh, one, I was running after a guy after Jim. We were, you know, acting the fool, as they say. Um, we were in, uh, engaging in horseplay and I ran after him and he went into the nurse's office for some reason. And the nurse's office, it's like a, almost like a, a sight gag waiting to happen. The, the nurse's office was a glass door. You know that just filled the frame and he slammed it just before I got there and I ran right through the glass door and of course yeah I had to get glass picked out of me but it was the kind of thing that uh, it became an instant legend at school Troy ran through the glass door and uh, another one was I broke my arm coming down the slide in grade (laughs) three and I broke both bones in the (laughs) forearm and so I had a big cartoony U in my arm because I was holding my wrist and I, I was in shock clearly. And I went in to see my, my teacher, Mrs. King in grade three and in shock. And I said, I think I did something to my arm and, and she almost passed out that I remember. Um, and I also saw a kid at, at recess playing tether ball who got a compound fracture, the ball broke his thumb backwards and that was pretty gory that's one of the goriest things i've ever seen and i still don't like even seeing like hospital dramas that have a lot of blood as a result anyway should we get on with it should but, we yeah uh,
2: absolutely well these are happy memories and certainly yeah. i don't think that that you know these things happen so we can understand buffy the vampire slayer sitting you know with a school on a hell mouth Right. That, you know, bad things can happen. But anyways, getting back to our our school program, because we do eventually have to get back to school.
1: Um, Troy, do you have a spoiler alert? I do have a spoiler alert. And it's, it's not that dramatic, because I'm afraid if it's overly dramatic, I'll get sent to the principal's office. But there will be spoilers, people. So be ready. This is not like, I'm not cheating on a test here. There will be spoilers. Um, Thanks a lot, Troy. We are recording this session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency,
2: I've known Maya for years. My wife, Alexa, also knows Maya. Uh, let's introduce our special guest. Maya Wentz is a Toronto teacher librarian who writes mystery and speculative fiction. School closures inspired Maya to write the Saltwater Spy School series. Imagine SpongeBob SquarePants meets James Bond, featuring a wannabe spy hermit crab overcoming childhood fears. Beating Frenzy, Curse of the Necromancer won a Wadi Award. In the sequel, a rival magic faction has taken control of Loon Lake, cursing Tanya's allies with amnesia and framing her mother for murdering a man who was already dead. To free her mother, Tanya must find the real killer while navigating secret university magic classes surrounded by her worst enemies. Welcome, Maya.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: Glad you're here. Before we get into our back to school special, Troy and I would like to know uh, about your early genre loves and all-time faves. This is something we like to ask our guests. We want to know... How you were first introduced to the speculative genre, whether it be the written word or its cinematic universe. Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre to recall these times with fondness and affection.
0: Okay, that's an easy one. My mom used to read us uh, Chronicles of Narnia at the kitchen table after dinner. And after she read us The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, we pleaded with her to take us. Uh, and buy us Turkish delight. So we went to Marks and Spencer's, and she bought a big Turk chocolate bar and a bottle of orange squash. Mm. And uh, all of those very English things seemed like exotic adventures. And the idea that we could find Narnia's fantastic treats at the Scarborough Town Centre shopping mall was uh, a revelation to us.
2: Um. So, Mike, what was your first speculative genre thing that you actually fell in love with and why?
0: Well, I have an early memory of watching Star Wars when it came out. And it's one of the very few films I've seen twice in the theater. And, uh, you know, I was quite young. I was blown away by the special effects, the land speeders, the cantina scene. It was, uh, yeah, for, for a kid, it was mind boggling.
2: Uh, thanks. Uh, we would like to get into our all-time genre faves. Here are some rapid-fire questions about your favourite genre things. We're just looking for titles, but if you feel the urge, you can expand a bit. We do wish to get to our back-to-school special soon. If Troy can ask these questions, that would
1: be great. Uh, so, Maya, what is your favourite genre film? Deadpool. What's your favourite genre TV show?
0: Doctor Who. The re- okay. The reboot, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah.
1: Okay. The answer to this next question does not have to come from your favorite genre TV show. Can you tell us what is your fave individual all-time genre TV episode?
0: Okay, that's a bit of a thinker, but I'm going to say Blink. So that's Doctor Who season three.
1: All right. What's your favorite genre novel?
0: Okay, that was that's a really really hard one. I'm gonna go with Handmaid's Tale. Mm. So, would, na, would Narnia
1: right. still be in the running?
0: No, not no? even close. That's okay. a children's book, and and Handmaid's Tale is
1: uh, not. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, uh, how about your favorite uh, shorter work that is genre?
0: All right, so I'm gonna go back to when I was in university. And I mean, I was studying literature, but the only thing I read for pleasure at that time was science fiction. And I mm-hmm. just loved um, Johnny Mnemonic from Burning Chrome, you know, the William Gibson mm-hmm. short story. And um, yeah, so Johnny Mnemonic, not the movie, the short story. Okay, right. Because <laughs> I've seen the movie.
1: It's, <laughs>
0: it's not as bad as other people tell me it is, but it's... Yeah, it's not the story.
1: No, and who would be your favorite genre author of all time?
0: Okay, so you're asking a librarian their favorite. Uh-huh. Aha, like, that's so. That's hard. right.
1: Coughing so up. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna cheat a tiny bit and say it's a tie between Margaret Atwood and William Gibson, unless I can have Orlando by Virginia Woolf, in which ta- in which case Orlando wins. Okay. Time travel makes it speculative. Sure, right? it,
1: yeah, yeah. You and you can have whatever you like. <laughs> um, what's your favorite genre, theme, or concept?
0: Oh, utopias and dystopias. I've always been fascinated with that. Um, and I guess uh, a big one would be Francois Rabelais' uh, King Pantagruel. Uh he's educating gargantua. You know our expression gargantuan.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: he wants to raise his son to be the ultimate Renaissance king. And that is my utopia. And then I love all the all the usual dystopias, 1984, Brave New World. And they just keep coming, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we never seem to get an answer to uh figuring out uh our problems out there. So I think the dystopian novels are gonna keep coming too um what's your favorite genre theater production or musical
0: i'm gonna go with little shop of horrors because it's so much fun and if you say okay we said there's there would be spoilers at the end they drop vines on you
1: (gasps) okay i'm recovering from that uh what's your favorite (laughs) comic book series or graphic novel?
0: so currently my favorite comic book character is deadpool but as a kid my favorite character was the thing i have a thing for Mm. wisecracking unlikely superheroes
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i was a big fan of the thing i used to love any matchup whenever it was the thing versus the hulk because it seemed like it (laughs) seemed like you know this is the the the, the thing that we really need to know who who (laughs) would win i don't know it's yeah. like who's faster the flash or superman i don't know we we need to have this resolved okay uh how about your favorite genre poem
0: okay so that would be and thank goodness i had some time to think parliament funk funkadelic has oh a my rap. god it's uh mothership connection star child it's yeah. awesome it's a wrap yeah it's a rap. <laughs> yeah
1: well all right Starchild, citizens of the universe, recording angel, we have returned to claim the pyramid. Pardon on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. Sit down in 3D. Lightyear groove. All right. I just recently bought the first two Funkadelic albums. Um, okay. I've had. Um, I've had. Um, oh my god! One Nation Under a Groove forever. Um, but that's awesome. Jeez. Props to you for that answer, David. Maya gets a gold star.
0: It is (laughs) the best genre poem I could think of.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, definitely a gold star there. That I always like getting that kind of thing or this little sticker of a frog on one of my assignments or one person who gave me 100 plus infinity uh, as a score on my uh, uh, paper. Uh, Those are the kinds of things that we always look forward to. But basically onto our Back to school special. Troy Harkin will give some background and set it in context before we get into a full discussion on it. So, Troy will talk a bit about schools and speculative literature, film, TV, and comics. Take it away, Troy.
1: Hello, class. My name is Mr. Harkin and I'd like to walk you through the syllabus for today's episode which as you know by now is the back to school episode. If you think you may have wandered into the wrong podcast now is the time to gather up your things and head down to the office where Mrs. Watson will assist you. All right no one? Good then let's begin. If you'll just have a look at your syllabus Oh, and if you have any questions, Mr. Clink and I will be glad to address them after the presentation. All righty then. Formal education was an essential part of the development and civilizing in the ancient city-states of Greece. Anyone could open a school and decide the curriculum. This may or may not have included studies of the demonic, vampirism, lycanthropy, and home ec. By around 350 BC, it was common for children at schools in Athens to also study various arts such as drawing, painting, and conjuring. Some of Athens' greatest schools of higher education included the Lyceum and the Platonic Academy. Around this time, the telling of fictional tales became a popular form of entertainment, and it became clear that stories set in the classroom were as legitimate a milieu as a labyrinth or a pond where one might stare at one's reflection. Eventually, Britain became a thing, and they too felt school was a necessary form of humiliating children. America also followed in Britain's footsteps and decided that high schools in particular would be an excellent place to set shows such as Bye Bye Birdie, Grease, and Dear Evan Hansen. Along the way, darker, less-sing-songy tales were penned involving teachers, students and classrooms, and the abomination that are collectively known as gym teachers. I'm sorry, that was from Wikipedia. In this class, we will present an overview of such genre films and tales. Yes, there was once a time when neither film or television existed. People once simply read books. So, let's begin there. One of the earliest American examples comes to us via the author Washington Irving, who penned The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, featuring the schoolmaster Ichabod Crane. Cribbed from the German ballad Der Wild Jager, Sleepy Hollow is an early example of a teacher terrorized by a supernatural entity, specifically a headless horseman. The story appears in Washington's sketchbook, first published in 1820. Now. This is just an overview this is not exhaustive so let me jump way ahead to high spirits by Robertson Davies which was published in 1982 in, in Davies collection of ghost stories they're set around Massey College at the U of T at Christmas time and I really recommend that to anybody looking for something that they may not have seen We're moving on to the Harry Potter series of books and films. Harry Potter is is a series of seven fantasy novels written by J.K. Rowling. The novels chronicle the lives of a young wizard, Harry Potter, and his friends Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley, all of whom are students at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The stories concern Harry's struggle against Lord Voldemort. You, you may be familiar with this. The first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, was published in 1997, selling more than 500 million copies worldwide. It is the best-selling series of books ever. The Warner Brothers film series adapted the books between 2001 and 2011. All were huge blockbusters. Now, it would be great if everybody checked out Keepers of the Vault, the trilogy by Marty Chan. The series is a high-low fantasy series intended for middle school to junior high students. It takes place at Mackenzie King's School in Edmonton, where its two heroes Christina and Dylan discover the top floor of their school is actually a repository of magical artifacts. It was published in 2015 by Clockwise Press. October is a novel by Michael Rowe. It was first published in 2017. 16-year-old Mikey isn't like the other boys. He's skinny, wears black, reads horror novels, listens to Madonna. He's different, i.e. gay. And the bullies at school won't let him forget it. Only his best friend, Roxy, has any idea of the depths of Mikey's pain and how desperately he needs to be loved. Mikey's loneliness pushes him to make a pact with evil to bring vengeance down upon his enemies. Now, Stephen King is an Entire genre and industry unto himself. So let's have a quick look at the master of macabre and his contribution to the classroom experience. And I I won't give you a breakdown of all the plot details, but look to the story, Here There Be Tigers from Skeleton Crew, about uh, a young grammar school student who believes that there's a tiger hiding in the boys' room, and his mean teacher, Miss Bird, who goes in to find him. Now, Rage, we'll talk a little bit about Rage, was written under his pen name Richard Bachman in 1977. This is one of the most controversial books in King's canon, though published under, as I said, his uh, pseudonym. The story sees a student at Placerville High School, Charlie Decker, take his class hostage and kill a handful of teachers and students. The brutal tale feels like a mix of Dog Day Afternoon and The Breakfast Club. After a number of actual school shootings were connected to the book, King had the book pulled from publication. In its place, he responded with an anti-gun essay simply entitled Guns. Carrie is a 1974 novel, his first and also first film adaptation that came out in 1976. It's the classic that started the ball rolling for King. Uh, Carrie is the story of Carrie White, a teenager with telekinetic abilities, was struggling to deal with her bullying classmates at Thomas Ewan Consolidated High School and her psychotic uber-religious mother at home. Through the story we experience Carrie's final weeks of high school culminating with the infamous senior prom. We also meet her empathetic gym teacher Rita Desjardins in the novel or Miss Collins in the film played by Betty Buckley. Uh, Christine is also uh, a high school set King film and novel, which, again, I won't get into the plot points. The Body, which was adapted from the book uh, Different Seasons into the film Stand By Me, ostensibly it's not a school story. It takes place on the Labor Day weekend of 1960 in Castle Rock, Maine, just before heading back to school. Although discussions about what has gone on in in the previous school year come up Uh, throughout the story. The narrator, Gordon, Gordy Lechance of Castle Rock, Maine, recounts being 12 and going with his three friends to find the body of a dead boy who has been hit by a train. Uh, Sometimes they come back. Another high school set story uh, from the teacher's point of view is in the collection Night Shift. It came out in 1976. Let's move on to specifically films, television, and other forms. Uh, the X-Men was created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The first issue dropped in September 1963, just in time for Back to School. In that issue, we were introduced to wheelchair-bound telepath Professor Charles Xavier and his first class of mutant superheroes. The Beast, Angel, Cyclops, Iceman, and Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, as well as mutant supervillain Magneto. Charles Xavier runs Professor Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters as a safe haven for superpowered mutant children. X-Men was first brought to the big screen by Sony Pictures in 2000. To date, there have been 13 X-Men related films released. Time for a swig of water. Spider-Man was created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee from Marvel Comics. He made his first appearance in 1962 in the comic Amazing Tales before being given a title of his own. The appeal of the character has always been that Peter Parker is a teenager with the thoughts and problems of a teenager. Spider-Man was YA before there was such a thing. As a result, many of his adventures are those that take place in a school or around school events. Like the X-Men, Spider-Man has spawned a thriving film franchise in the past 20 years. I want to mention that in the final uh, film of the Planet of the Apes series, the original one, The Battle for the Planet of the Apes, um, we see the still languageable humans learning aside ape children with lessons being given by a human teacher in a number of scenes in the film and there's a turning point I'm not going to give the spoiler for this one um, that happens uh, with that dynamic of the, the human teacher
2: Ape shall never Ape shall never Ape shall never Ever kill man. You're late, General Aldo. Come and read this to the class.
0: I won't.
1: You won't because you can't. And you can't because you don't want to learn. Uh, And it is my duty to report this to Caesar. Now, if you're an Truly an old fart like David and I are, you'll remember Saturday mornings with The Secrets of ISIS and Shazam. Well, The Secrets of ISIS uh, aired between 75 and 78. It was part of CBS, CBS's Saturday Mornings. This is from Wikipedia. The program was the first weekly American live action television series with a female superhero lead character debuting September 675, predating the weekly debuts of both the Bionic Woman and Wonder Woman. Isis is the alter ego of Andrea Thomas, a seemingly normal school teacher who transforms into the Egyptian goddess when presented with crisis a mere mortal cannot resolve. All my queen, said the royal sorcerer to Hatshepsut, With this amulet, you and your descendants are endowed by the goddess Isis. With the powers of the animals and the elements, you will soar as the falcon soars, run with the speed of gazelles, and
2: command the elements of sky and earth. 3,000 years later, a young science teacher dug up this lost treasure and found she was heir to the secrets of ISIS. And so, unknown to even her closest friends, Rick Mason and Cindy Lee, she became a dual person, Andrea Thomas, teacher, oh and ISIS, dedicated foe of evil, defender of the weak, champion of truth and justice.
1: Episodes of the series featured crossovers featuring Captain Marvel from the companion series Shazam. As both Isis and Shazam were considered children's shows, they had to adhere to script supervision of educators and child psychologists. As a result, each episode ended with often ham-handed morals being dished out by the heroes. And let's check out one of those now. Hi. Today we saw that if you close your mind to learning... Sooner or later, you're going to have it open again in surprise at just how you shortchange yourself. So if you should ever think about dropping out of school, just remember, you're only hurting yourself. See you next week. The Bionic Woman, 1976 to 1978. It aired on both ABC and then switched over to NBC. Though Jamie Summers played by Lindsay Wagner was a tennis pro prior to her bionic operation. Once she begins working for the OSI intelligence agency, she takes a job as a school teacher on an air force base. And many episodes begin with those lessons and and show scenes with the class. Let's move on to the big guns. Maybe the, maybe the mother of them all, Buffy, the vampire slayer, the film, the original film, it was directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie and written by Joss Whedon. It starred Christy Swanson as Buffy, Donald Sutherland, Rutger Hauer, Luke Perry, Paul Rubens, and Hilary Swank were also in the film. More memorably, Joss Whedon recreated Buffy for television in 1997. The series picks up the September following the finale of the film. Buffy and her mom moved from LA to the suburb of Sunnyvale, California, which just happens to be located atop of a hellmouth demon portal, or as Buffy puts it, a mystical who's it. Welcome to Sunnydale. A clean slate, Buffy. That's what you get here. What's past is past. We're not interested in what it says on a piece of paper. Even if it says, well...
2: wasn't that bad.
1: You burned down the gym.
2: I did. I really did. But... You're not seeing the big picture here. I mean,
1: that gym was full of vampire asbestos. Season one exemplifies the high school is hell concept. Rupert Giles, librarian and her new watcher, reminds her of her duties as a slayer. Buffy befriends two schoolmates, Xander Harris and Willow Rosenberg, who help her fight evil throughout the series. The show ran for seven seasons, having a huge impact on pop culture. The Craft, the film, uh, came out in 1996. It starred Neve Campbell and Farouza Balk. It follows four outcast teenage girls at a Los Angeles parochial high school who pursue witchcraft for their own gain and subsequently experience negative repercussions. Now, a favourite of mine was Smallville. Smallville ran from 2001 to 2011, originally airing on the WB before that network was taken over by CW. The first four seasons of Smallville features Clark Kent's life as a high school student at Smallville High, years before becoming Superman. The series birthed what is now thought of as the Arrowverse, including the shows Arrow, Supergirl, The Flash, and Legends of the DCU. Smallville had an exceptional cast, starting with Annette O'Toole and John Snyder as Ma and Pa Kent. Lana Lang is the object of Clark Kent's affection prior to Lois showing up, at his Lois Lane, showing up in season four. One of the main rules for the writers of the show was no tights, no flights. Smallville was a coming-of-age tale. Clark Kent, played perfectly by Tom Welling, is learning who he is and what his abilities are. Smallville High is the central location of the first four seasons of the show, with many standard high school events like football, homecoming parties, and dances occupying the storylines. Sky High, it's a Disney film that came out in 2005. It uh, starred Kurt Russell, Kelly Preston, Bruce Campbell, Phil Root, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Linda Carter. It tells the story of Will Stronghold, who is enrolled in an airborne high school for teen superheroes. Now, South Park and The Simpsons both feature elementary school aged children in and out of the classroom. Both feature teachers such as Mr. Garrison and Ms. Krabappel, as well as other school staff such as Chef and Groundskeeper Willie. And bus drivers like Veronica Crabtree and Otto Man. Both shows have been featuring classic Halloween episodes for decades that riff on sci-fi and horror tales. As an all-too-brief sampler, may I suggest South Park's Pink Eye episode and The Simpsons' Hungry are the Damned segment of the first Treehouse of horror which parodies the twilight zones to serve man episode the simpsons first aired in 1989 south park premiered in 1997. any questions and finally to wrap it up here are some recent notable shows that revolve around schools and the classroom riverdale uh, began in 2017 it's still running Um, you can find that on netflix the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, also on Netflix, a spinoff from Riverdale, uh, starring Kiernan Shipka, and Lock and Key, based on Joe Hill's graphic novel. Uh, season one was uh, 2020, and it's still going on Netflix. And my daughter recommended, and not not my young daughter, but my my 20 something, I will just say, uh, daughter Kate recommended some animes that that we should not forget. My Hero Academia, Ruby, uh, Dury Children and high cue and that is it class so i'm now going to turn you over to mr clink
2: thanks a lot troy for that um uh going into uh, schools and speculative um uh fiction hopefully we've got something left to talk about but um uh, that was very uh, exhaustive. And thank you for doing that research. It's uh, fantastic. Uh, Maya, can you um, tell us how you were first introduced to the concept that there were fictional schools in the speculative genre?
0: Um, you know, when, when you're a kid, a lot of stories take place in schools. But the first real speculative one was I was on a trip to England and I noticed that my in-laws and their kids were fighting over the same novel. They all wanted to read it at the same time. So I bought a copy and brought Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone back with me to Canada and read it out loud to my grade four class um, in one of my very earliest years as a teacher. And, uh, yeah, I was so happy, except I couldn't pronounce Hermione, so I called her Hermoine. Because I, nice. <laughs> embarrassing story, I called her Air Mwan until the until the series became popular, and I realized what I was doing.
2: Um, thanks. And why do you think um, that uh, schools play such an important role in speculative fiction and film for YA audience, audiences and older ones as well?
0: Well, especially the ones set in high schools. It's it's a really crucial time of life. A lot of people consume YA stories well into adulthood and middle age because high school is where we became ourselves. We chose our friends, we assembled our found families, we decided on values and desires that weren't the ones our parents wanted us to have. And the stakes were so high in youth that it, it, and our feelings were felt so deeply. That it just burned into our memories. So when you watch something that is set in a high school, it it brings you right back um, to to those days.
2: And sorry for hogging all the question. I think Troy will jump in in a minute. But when it comes to uh, some of the some of the um, schooling that I'm familiar with in um, the speculative genre like starfleet academy for star trek hogwarts for harry potter sunnydale for buffy xavier school for gifted youngsters from x-men there's also even forks high school from twilight which of these do you wish you could have gone to and why Uh,
0: okay so here's the thing i i left the naval reserve so i would probably fail out of starfleet I'd probably get bitten by a vamp in Sunnydale as one of the extras. Uh, The lack of sun at Forks would be too depressing for me. So from those choices, I would take the miraculous world of Hogwarts, because that means I would be a chosen wizard. Um, And you have to like magic powers and living in that simpler world without all of our distracting tech and social media Um, there's something really comforting about old fashioned magic and the idea of a British boarding school, all the supportive friendships, the academic competition, the team spirit, and, uh, I want to eat chocolate frogs, (laughs) but yeah, if I don't have to choose from that list, I would rather go to the Time Lord Academy because then I would be a Time Lord.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things, uh, one of the great moments, I think, in um, Spider-Man was because it, it's maybe the quintessential uh, superpower kind of character from high school. Um, that's just my alarm going, which means um, we've got maybe 10 or 15 minutes left, but um after, you know, we've always wished that we had that power to be able to beat up that bully, the, the one that keeps pestering us and to, and to somehow rise above everyone else and somehow have some kind of powers like what Spider-Man has. And that great phrase, about with great power comes great responsibility. If you have the power, but you, you're still trying to figure out who you are and how can you even control that? If you're also not even in control of anything else
0: yeah that's a great quote from spider-man i like that one i think we should all live by it <laughs> yeah and
1: it, it feels like it's uh you know his, his his mantra too it's i think so many people recognize that and uh you know think of spider-man when they hear it for sure
2: and there's also the idea of when you go back to some fantasy works, the idea of of guilds and schools where you turn, learn or teach specific skills, like in fantasy uh, Dungeons of Dragons. Um, I think I was talking to Troy the other week. Um, I, I I'm trying to remember uh, unless it was you, might talk about the child, C H I L D E. It's a version of a child, but it's from. I guess it must be inspired in King novels. So, Troy, you must have been the one that was talking about
1: it. I I think I. Yeah, we were. We started talking about the whole idea of uh, the apprentice and the, um, especially involving knights. And I mentioned how um, the inspiration for the Dark Tower series by King comes from Robert Browning's epic poem, uh, "Child Roll into the Dark Tower Came," and. I think I don't know if, if I pursued it on my own or if I found the discussion somewhere else, but the the, the phrase "child" Roland sort of threw me. And anyway, at some point, I discovered that it, it actually meant like an an apprentice knight. Um, that's the whole idea of that that spelling of 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 child doesn't mean you know somebody who's young or youthful, um, but yeah, more somebody who's in training for greater things.
2: Yeah, there is something about the whole idea of the apprentice or the the um I even in Star Wars to become a Jedi master, you have to learn under you know that, that idea of you were the, you know, the I was the apprentice, now I am the master kind of thing from Darth Vader's point of view with Obi-Wan. Is that I think that's partly tied in with schooling and with just coming of age, that you have to come to a point where you have to assert yourself and your own idea of who you are and your own place in the world. And to do that, in some cases, yes, you can, you know, sometimes it takes a bill. Sometimes you do need other people, but sometimes you also ultimately have to make these decisions
0: and come to it on your own. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah
2: the idea of a squire in a page like like being you know you're hoping that you are the one that's going to become that knight or that great character but to do so you have to have to put in the time you can't be like one of my favorite episodes from the classic track is charlie x at one point early on i didn't care for it that much because i found the character a bit annoying and a bit painful but then isn't that our teen years isn't that our high school. <laughs> Isn't that us growing right. up and trying to but you need to go through that and the fact that Kirk and the rest of the crew are trying to figure out how to actually deal from the idea of almost a child psychology point of view. Is that when you have a kid who again again the idea of great power comes great responsibility. He has the powers like um uh Jurassic Park where they said, well you've suddenly come onto this uh, ability to be able to create dinosaurs, but you didn't earn that knowledge, and you didn't come to it honestly. And how can you actually handle what you've got? You know, you've you basically un—you've unca- taken the genie out of the bottle, and you can't get the—you can't control it.
0: Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other—the other thing is all—all all sorts of these school stories center around a main character who's like the chosen one, but. Uh, like I like the magicians because Lev Grossman's writing a story in which Quentin Coldwater is this clinically depressed grad student in love with this his genius girl best friend, and you think that he's going to be the chosen one, just like in all the other fantasy novels. Except when he get and we he gets to break Bill's like, academy, he gets to break Bill's academy. And we think it's going to be another Hogwarts, good and evil, and the poor farm boy becomes the king. But that's not what happens. It's more about um, he 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 comes to realize that his Narnia, it's called Fillory in the book, is real, and he has to find his best self, and he has to save the world. But he does it by not being the chosen one, and by kind of mastering his emotions. And uh, so, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's interesting that the modern version of these school stories don't always follow the tropes in the same direction that we're expecting. Or like Sabrina, she's, she, she wants to reject magic she, so mm-hmm. she can go to a regular school. And that's one trope, right? You have the magic underground at a regular school and everybody's trying to hide it. And the right. other trope is you're the chosen person and you're going to go to a magic school. And it's only hidden for the muggles on the outside. But in Sabrina, she has it both ways. She, she, she tries one way and then she kind of embraces her destiny and she goes to the magical school but her loyalties are still to regular non-magical people. And she has the incredible um, arrogance to think she's going to sign herself off to the devil, become Mm. a witch and still change the system from within. So like, I do like the way these school tales are being handled right now Mm. because, because the writers are playing with them.
1: Yeah. And we're seeing sort of, and evolution in storytelling as well. And it's actually great that you point that out.
2: Yeah, I found a neat comparison between Harry Potter and Buffy. I watched mm-hmm. the first episode just in prep for the... I didn't watch the, 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 the movie Buffy, but I did. You know, I've watched all of Buffy years ago. But I thought, you know, why not just watch the very first episode on demand and just and all the memories came back of what was happening in the episode. And it's so cool. And you had Cordelia um, saying, well, you shouldn't hang around with that bunch. You know, you, you should be on the higher, you should be hanging around with that. So it's almost like Mean Girls kind of, you have to be with the clique and you have to choose your friends. And of course, similar thing with Harry Potter early on, where um, uh, you've got the uh, uh, kid from slithering." saying hey you know you should know who should be hanging out you know you have to choose the right friends and harry of course says yeah i i, I know that and i've chosen them kind of thing um so it's really a test of character about whether or not you and it's as as my i think you mentioned earlier about empathy it's whether or not you can empathize or be able to see someone you know whether buffy can see willow and see that she has value that she has purpose that she has that that she that she is someone worth getting to know
0: mm-hmm. yeah the Buffy it's funny I saw the the Buffy movie when it came out and when I saw that they were going to turn it into a tv show I couldn't believe it because I thought the movie was perfect and they couldn't do anything with it and then then I fell in love with the TV show. It was it. It really spoke to me, you know. And I mean, I'm not the cheerleader type, (laughs) far from it.
2: But she's also a character that you she's in both worlds. She's also Mm -hmm. in the the human world and the demonic world. But she's also this person that is almost like a cheerleader. Qualities when it comes to appearance and just what she thinks about certain things. But she's also got the foot in the real world with um other friends and i was gonna make oh and the other thing is and, and <laughs> she's a
0: popular girl and she's a geek girl that's what i
2: <laughs> right yes yeah 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 um one of the things about buffy because you know I've, I've watched a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy and when i was asked the question when when uh, troy and i got together for our very first episode and picked our own favorites of all time even though the classic series of Star Trek and the various other series have been my favorites, the one the the standalone episode, my favorite genre episode of all time from all series everywhere is a buffy episode called Hush where there 's this where these creatures come which are some of the best the gentlemen. what a fantastic, the scariest possibly creatures i 've ever seen on any show. And the fact that no one can speak, and she has to tr- somehow outwit or figure this out. There's also the one where you have to stand on your own. So there was an episode, without trying to give too much away, fairly early on, where Giles, who is the Watcher, does something to Buffy to take away her powers to say, "Hey, you have to actually be able to sit when your test at turning eighteen or wherever the age was." You have to actually, I have to give you something to take away your power. But she, he's not allowed to tell her that. So she's realizing that something's happened to her. She has to somehow outwit or defeat a vampire without only any of her, which is basically the character coming of age, coming to be able to say that, yes, I can do this on my own.
0: Yeah, those were both really memorable, very memorable uh, episodes, but we won't spoil them <laughs>
2: Yeah, and there's also a wonderful episode of based on W. W. Jacob's The Monkey's Paw. Um, there was an episode where where Buffy's mother um uh something happens to Buffy's mother mother, and then they think, okay, then following episode, they're saying, Well, how do we get her back? And it was basically the story of the monkey's paw, so powerful and so wonderful. The uh, Buffy also had, we eventually have to do a Buffy episode clearly <laughs> for a podcast, mm-hmm. but there was also one of the greatest moments. I can't remember if we were talking to Troy about this or whether or not you, you, I know I was talking to someone at some point about how they thought it was kind of odd or strange, but they had one of the most wonderful moments at the very end of, I'm not sure if it was first season or second season, but at the very end of the season, the mother says, oh, don't forget to take your sister. And whoever she has to go, it says, okay. And then you turn, the camera turns and you see her sister. That sister was not mentioned at all during the entire season. And that you clearly were left at the Going through the summer and waiting to come back to school with a new season of Buffy, trying to understand that clearly this, there's something going on. Is this magic? Is this something? Is this an alternate thing? Like whatever it is, we're all, it's like a who shot JR. We're thinking, what the heck is going on here? And that was one of the most brilliant uh, uh, moments.
0: Yep, best writer trick ever.
2: Change, change
0: history retroactively. <laughs>
2: so we've got about 10 minutes left. So let's do our dream casting. So what will happen is, uh, Troy, if you want to just talk a bit about the dream casting, and then we'll do the dream casting.
1: It's okay, David, I'll start. And all three of us will give our responses for each role. Uh, we are first tackling the idea of casting the leads in the TV series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, with the best possible actors and actresses who have ever lived this is our dream cast. After this, we will do our outside the box casting, which is even weirder.
2: Yeah. So, Troy will go over the original roles and actors that played them.
1: All righty. Here we go. And this is originally in the series, yes. So, Buffy Summers was, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller. I think it's one of the best portrayals of any character ever. Um, she was wonderful. Uh, Rupert giles uh anthony stewart had willow rosenberg was played by allison hannigan and Xander harris was played by nicholas brendan
2: and a couple of points about that anthony stewart had i think before he was cast in buffy was in those i don't know if it was maxwell house or there was these coffee commercials where he was somehow in uh, you know there was a possibility of him maybe meeting and dating this other woman. And there was a whole series, these commercials dealing with this coffee that dealt with them somehow getting to know each other more. So it was a whole series. Um, And Nicholas Brendan kind of oddly, I think I looked this up a long time ago, but I believe he was like 26 years old when he was cast to play Xander playing like a 17 or 18 year old uh, character. But uh, why don't we start,
1: Troy, did you want to start with your dream cast? Sure, I can do that. And uh, I'll give you all four of them. Is that how yep. we're going to do that? Right? Yep. All righty. So I, I I almost feel like I want to go in reverse order, but that's okay. I won't. Um, Buffy. I mean, how do you have anybody other than Sarah Michelle Gellar? I don't know. It's really, it's a tough one. It was for me. I went with Allison Brie. Who um, loved in both Mad Men and Community, as well as currently uh, Glow. Um, I think a young, a younger Allison Bree, like around the time that she had just started doing Community, which has got had to be at least ten years ago now, um, or maybe even a little earlier, would have been perfect. Um, Anyway, that's who I have. So, um, as Rupert Giles, I was torn. First of all, I thought, oh, a, a new, like a current Daniel Radcliffe could be could be pretty awesome, but <laughs> but I decided on John Oliver, um, who is also on Community and, of course, has his own uh, HBO show now. Um, I mean, both both Radcliffe and Oliver are British. Um, but I thought I would like to go with John Oliver. Also, then there's a little bit of a connection to Alison Brie because they were b- both in community at one point. Willow. Um, I got hung up on looking for a ginger for a long time, and then I just gave up on on doing that. Um, and believe it or not, I mentioned from Smallville, Alison Mack, and I loved Alison Mack in, as her... Um, in a role as Chloe on Smallville. And I can imagine her at that age because clearly I don't think she'll ever work again in film. Um, Allison Mack could have done Willow. Then I went with, for, this is my solid uh, Kristen Shaw. Um, who is a great comedian and, uh, you know, that a quirky look and a quirky voice. And, and I'm all about that. Um, I think I've given Kristen Schaal uh, for other Dreamcasts before. Um, anyway, so that's who I would probably finish up with. Kristen, Kristen Schaal. Also the voice uh, of Louise on Bob's Burgers. Um, Xander. Okay. Immediately I thought of, Rob Metcalf, and David, you may ask, who is Rob Metcalf? Rob Metcalf is a guy I used to work with when I worked at Rogers Television, Uh, and he looks exactly like Xander Harris, but I guess we want an actual actor, so let me go with Donald Glover, also formerly of of Community and currently now uh, winning Oscars, not Oscars, Emmys with Atlanta, and winning Grammys as Childish Gambino. So there you go, Donald Glover as Xander. That's my fourth.
0: Okay, I'll go
2: with mine, and then we will do uh, Maya's one. Uh, Buffy Summers, um, I went with, um, uh, I think it's Sadie Sink from Stranger I have a lot of Stranger Things uh, from here, so I've got Stranger Things. Rupert Giles, I have Roddy McDowell, and he's from a lot of things. <laughs> um, Willa Rosenberg, uh, uh, I had Millie Bobby Brown, who was in Stranger Things.
1: It's just fun to say that, isn't it? Millie Bobby Brown.
2: Yeah. Millie yes. Bobby Brown. And if you say it three times, then Ooh. will she appear? No, no, no. That's it's like Candyman, yeah. Yeah, Candyman. And then um, Xander Harris I had as Ben Platt. He's from Dear Evan Hansen, among other things.
1: Wow, our second Dear Evan Hansen <laughs> reference to the show. Yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, my Buffy would be Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black, because I figure mm. she can do anything. Uh, my Mister Giles would be Hugh Laurie, uh, oh nice from, from Blackadder or House, if you prefer. But I'd I'd keep him with his British accent. Uh, Willow, I would I would cast Emma Stone because she looks exactly like my gorgeous cousin Lisa. Oh, and nice. uh, if you're living, if you're listening, Lisa, um, I'm still jealous of you. And Xander Harris would be. Iwan Rion of Misfits, Game of Thrones, American Gods. Mm. He was the Leprechaun.
2: Very good. I can't I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I can't spell that, so I will just leave it blank here. Uh, Hugh Laurie, I always also like from Fry and Laurie as well. Yeah. Um, so outside the box or unusual casting, Troy, what what did you go with? Did you have a theme? Did you what okay? Did
1: you I, do? I... No, I think my theme was chaos. That's that was my only theme this time and I tried to go way outside of the box. <laughs> so, as as Buffy, I really should go in reverse, but here, as Buffy I had Burgess Meredith. Wow. Burgess Meredith from like Rocky 3 era. Yeah, like the the older the Burgess the better. Um so then I had this crazy idea with Rupert Giles. What, <laughs> then you had a crazy idea. <laughs> what if, like, just imagine this. and Just imagine the voice. Instead of being British, what if there was a bit of a Memphis drawl? What if Elvis Presley played Rupert Giles?
0: <gasps> yes. and
1: And you would believe it. Like, whatever <laughs> Elvis told you, re-vampires, you know, vis-a-vis vampires, if Elvis was telling you, you would believe it. Like, I would trust in, in, in Elvis or or Elvi if there was more. Um,
0: Buffy, you killed another vampire. Thank you very yeah, much.
1: Exactly. I mean, gather around, children. Gather around. I want, I want to tell you about uh, the master, you know. like That would be awesome. All
2: right, thanks.
1: Oh, I, I thought we had, uh, I thought it was like spinal tap. I thought we were getting uh, right, frequency I, from the airport there. Uh, oh, just wait a here. second. So I've got Burgess Meredith, Elvis Presley, and as Willow, again I was thinking ginger, and this time I thought I'm gonna get me a ginger. I went with carrot top. So <laughs> so carrot top as as willow. <laughs> and and finally as Xander. Are there no prisons?
0: <laughs> I went houses? with
1: uh, yeah. I went with the happy hooker, Xavier Hollander just to go with the whole X theme. So there you go. That's that's my new Sunnydale. Uh, that is incredible. That's You've totally destroyed
2: everything here. That's fantastic. I picked the cast of WKRP. Oh, nice. So as Buffy Summers, I have Jennifer Marlowe played by Lonnie Anderson. Rupert Giles would be Les Nessman. By oh, Richard Sanders, yes, yes. Willa Rosenberg is Jan Smithers. Oh, oh I want Daily this. This Quarters. is so good. And Xander Harris is Frank Bonner, who played Herb Tarlick. So that's yes. my WKRP outside the box, Buffy Mash.
1: Now I that's a that. that's I a can, vision.
0: I can just imagine the turkeys falling out of the helicopter as we speak. Huh. All right. So, um, mine. I did a very obvious casting. Because Buffy herself calls them the Scoobies. So Mm. Buffy is Daphne Blake. Rupert Giles is Fred Jones, except (laughs) the part where he's dating Daphne. Uh, Willow (laughs) Rosenberg is Velma Dinkley. Xander Harris is Scooby, which would make Cordelia Chase shaggy, but don't tell her I said that.
1: (laughs) I never knew Velma's last name.
0: Velma You
1: You must be a librarian.
0: That's impressive. (laughs) Why do you think I like Buffy? It's all about the library. Let's go to the library. And then hell erupts into the library. What do they do about it? In the next season, they keep going back to the library.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: Okay, so um, we've just got our guest over, so you may end up hearing some other voices in the background, but but we're just about to finish up. Final question about back to school theme. Is there anything, um, Maya, that you maybe picked up in the last five or 10 years about schools and science fiction and fantasy and horror that you didn't know before that surprised you about uh, learning about it?
0: Sure, so if the main character is a girl, there's gonna be prom dresses. There will be very, very little time spent actually learning anything in class. Um, Adults are useless. Vampires are (laughs) sexy and mysterious, or at least deeply conflicted about their attraction to the lead. And they have excellent hair and broody good looks. (laughs) Um, There will be no saving the world without close personal friendships and plenty of clueless siblings and parents in jeopardy. Books are the key to solving the mystery, and libraries are awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. I knew that before. I knew that before, Librarians have deep, dark secrets which make them powerful, like Giles's rebel past. Unless it's the librarian Terry Pratchett's Unseen University, in which case there's no secret you can bribe the librarian with a banana because he's an orangutan. Um, Sometimes you have to go off the path like Quentin Coldwater in The Magicians and look where that took him, a chance to learn real magic and relive his life in a repeating loop. Uh, School is the place where we learn to fight, whether it's Starfleet Academy or Camp Half-Blood, where the sons and daughters of Greek gods train to face the monsters who will try to eat them during the regular school year. Also, your shortcomings and so-called disabilities may actually be secret strengths and clues that you don't belong in the muggle world. Also, your friends will betray you, especially if the series goes on for a very long time and the writers run out of ideas.
1: (laughs) Hey, by the way, Maya, um, we will be doing... um... Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way comes very soon, and that has some of my favorite library scenes of of any book. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, Is there anything that you're working on, anything that you want to share with us, uh, things that you're up to, you want to promote? Let's let's do it now.
0: Sure. Um, David gave me such a good uh, intro at the beginning, so Basically, I just launched my uh, Marina Royale and the Hunt for Red Octopus. And those are my kids' chapter books. They're kind of science fiction-y. And I'm currently editing uh, the sequel to Feeding Frenzy, Curse of the Necromancer. I, I just really want to thank you for the opportunity to be uh, on here. And um, hold on tight for that, um, for that sequel because it features a student Destined to become the next Victor Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Well, thank you so much, Maya, for being our special guest. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks. It was a real pleasure. So much fun.
2: That's our back-to-school special. See you all for our next podcast episode of Two Old Farts.
1: Talk sci-fi.
0: That's better, class.